You're listening to the Trinity Podcast. We are a multi-site church in the Chicago area whose mission is to help people look, live, and love more like Jesus. This week, we begin a new series focusing in on the Gospel of John called Strange Encounters with Jesus. Over the centuries, artists have tried to capture the figure of Jesus, from paintings, sculptures, songs, to even television and films. A picture is formed that often fits our personal preferences. What if these pictures are getting in the way of actually seeing Jesus for who He really is? Whether you're a lifelong churchgoer or skeptic just looking for answers to life's deepest questions, join us as we explore the book of John and see Jesus for who He truly is. This week's teaching pastor is Nick Price. You can open your Bible to our text for the day in John chapter 1, verses 29 to 50. So when I was a junior in college, I was studying the different world's religions. You see, that was my major in school, and I was focusing particularly in Islamic studies, but as a part of my program, I had to get pretty familiar with the other world's religions. And there was one class in particular where there was a conversation that has still stuck with me to this day. It was a class on Buddhism, and I remember at one point we were looking at different images of the Buddha. And it was as we were looking at different statues and depictions that my professor said something that really just kind of lodged in my memory. We saw one picture of the Buddha laughing, and he said, just as an offhanded remark, this is part of the problem that I have with Jesus. He never laughs. And I remember as a Christian, that really took me aback because having read through the Gospels, there are so many moments where Jesus says or does something that just elicits a chuckle. And I have to imagine that Jesus probably said or did those things with a little bit of a smirk on his face. And so I had to really think about why was it that this professor had that particular image of who Jesus is? And I think the reality is, is he grew up in Austria, a a pretty thoroughly de-churched country. And the images that he knew uh, growing up of Jesus were images that he saw in statues and in paintings, largely somber, mostly serious. And honestly, pop culture at the time wasn't doing him any favors because the Passion of the Christ had just come out. And there all we have is a bloody and very morose Jesus. And so no wonder he had this picture of Jesus that just seemed wholly unrelatable. And the reality is, is that I think that we all have a picture of Jesus in our minds. And it varies from person to person. And it's not just uh, non-Christians who have pictures of Jesus. Christians have them too. And I think that many of us have preferred pictures of Jesus. Some of us prefer to think of Jesus as kind of like our friend, our buddy. And this is great for when we want a Jesus who's friendly and relatable, someone that we feel like we can talk to. But it becomes kind of a problem when suddenly Jesus says things like, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Others of us have a picture of Jesus as being more austere. And this is the very challenging Jesus who calls us to radical acts of obedience, but is honestly hard to relate to when all we need is comfort. For others of us, we kind of prefer a cozy, cuddly Jesus. And and this kind of Jesus is easy to come to when we're having troubles or or we find ourselves stuck in our weaknesses and we just need a, a reassuring presence in our lives. But 
It's, but this kind of Jesus is thoroughly unable to challenge us in our brokenness and, and, and thoroughly unable to challenge the brokenness that we see in the world around us. Others of us really love the revolutionary Jesus, the one who calls out systems of injustice and wickedness in our world. But the problem is, is that too often we, we co-opt him into our, our own political platforms. He does very, very little to challenge us and, and we quickly end up using him as a tool for either the right or the left, a, a figure who simply props up our pre-existing political preferences and positions. You see, the reality is, is we all have a picture of Jesus in our minds and in our hearts, but often that picture of Jesus just looks like us. It says more about who we are and what we value than really about him and why he came. And this is an issue because there are a lot of people out there who on the one hand are kind of interested in Jesus, but who ultimately don't want to follow him. And I have to wonder if maybe part of the reason for that is because we haven't really presented them with a very appealing picture. Makes me think of something that the noted New Testament scholar N.T. Wright said. He said, it's often been said, but it bears repeating. Without the real human Jesus of Nazareth, we are at the mercy of anybody who tells us that Christ is this or that. But this isn't really a new problem. You see, Jesus' own disciples had a preferred picture of Jesus, one that often made it difficult for them to really understand why he came or what he was doing. And that's actually what we find when we open the very first pages of John's gospel. We learn something about Jesus' disciples. We learn that before they were his disciples, they were actually followers of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a pretty controversial figure. I mean, he was a radical through and through. He was dressed in, in camel's hair tunics. He lived out in the wilderness. He, he ate wild honey and locusts. And, and he was truly anti-establishment. I mean, he was offering a path of forgiveness that was outside the organized religious structures of his day. And if you want to talk about his preaching, he was fire and brimstone through and through. And he made it very, very clear why he came. He was there to make straight the way of the Lord. Over and over, he told the crowds that gathered around him that he was just preparation for someone greater who was coming. The Messiah, God's anointed king, someone whose sandals he wasn't worthy to stoop down and untie, someone who had baptized them, not with water, but with spirit and with fire, a man whose winnowing fork was in his hand, whose ax lay at the root of the trees, one who would bring God's judgment and God's salvation in spirit and in power. And if I were one of John's disciples, that would certainly paint a picture for me of who I should be expecting. I have to wonder if maybe what they thought the Messiah would be like is if they envisioned this kind of royal strongman, this, this powerful religious figure wielding supernatural might given to him by God. They probably looked at John the Baptist and saw him wearing his camel's hair tunic. And they're just like, man, I can't wait for this Messiah to show up. He's probably going to be wearing lion skins or something. It's easy to see how they would have had this idea of Jesus in their heads, which is why it's so funny. When we look at John's gospel, 
to see their reactions when they finally encounter Jesus in the flesh. Here's what we find in John chapter one. It says, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? I always found that a really funny question. I mean, they'd been told that this, that this Messiah, this anointed savior was gonna show up. And, and now that they're finally being told by the, the person that they'd followed that that's him, that's the guy that you're looking for, you can almost hear the, bil- the bewilderment in their voices. You can see that rather than running right up to him and being like, oh my gosh, we're so excited. We've been told about you. They kind of hang back. They're just kind of like walking. I imagine they're muttering to each other being like, are you sure that's him? I mean, he just kind of looks like one of us. And, and then when Jesus finally catches them in the act and says, what are you guys looking for? They're just like, uh, what neighborhood are you from? <laughs> now that's an understandable question in the ancient Near East. I mean, where a person comes from or the type of community that they live in says a lot about who that person is. I mean, we're talking about a communal culture where where you came, came from says a lot about your status and your identity. So it's a natural question for them to ask. They're, they're looking at this guy who really just looks like the rest of them. And they're wondering, is this really him? They're wondering, maybe we got something wrong. Maybe he's staying in a nice house nearby the local synagogue, or, or maybe he's just traveling through the area and really he lives in a palace somewhere. You can almost hear the questions behind the questions. But there's also probably a level of genuine curiosity. I mean, after all, they trusted John the Baptist. They were his followers. And so I'm sure they're sitting there being like, well, if this really is the guy, we have some questions that we want to ask and they're probably wondering where he's staying so that they can go with him and ask their questions in private and and get it all sorted out and straightened out. But what I love most about this encounter is how Jesus responds to them. After they ask him this question, rather than simply giving them an address or telling them what neighborhood he's from, he simply says, come and you will see. Come and you will see. See, immediately he responds to their curiosity with a personal invitation. He doesn't just answer the question on the surface. He says, no, no, no. I want you to come with me and actually meet me. I want you to talk with me and and get to know me. The only way you're really going to get an answer to the questions that you've been longing to ask is by seeing for yourself. And what's so crazy about John's account is that we aren't actually told what they talk about, but we do see the result of it. That immediately upon having this encounter with Jesus and spending some time with him, they they go out and they start to tell other people. It says one of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. The next day when Jesus calls Philip, Philip then goes and finds another person, Nathaniel, and tells him, we've, we've found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. 
Whatever they talked about, whatever they experienced, it was so life-shattering, life-transforming that they couldn't keep it to themselves. But what I love about all of them is that rather than going and trying to explain Jesus to those that they were trying to reach, they simply say, you need to come and see for yourself too. You need to come and check it out. You need to meet with him if you're really going to understand him. And I think the point in this story is this, we can only really know and understand Jesus by having a personal encounter with him. We can't let others do it for us. We have to go and we have to see. And this has profound implications for how we think about spiritual life and what it means to truly know Jesus. For us as Christians, the the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we willing to cultivate a deeper relationship with Jesus or are we simply clinging to our favorite picture of him? Are we allowing Jesus to be Jesus or are we simply preferring a caricature that we have created to, to kind of pull out of the drawer when we need him and then put him away when life is going well? Likewise, for those of us who are seekers, we have to ask ourselves this question, are we actually willing to examine him for ourselves or are we content to let others decide for us by simply parroting their objections? You know, so many times I've been talking to people who would consider themselves spiritual seekers, not really Christians. and, And when I've encouraged them to look at Jesus, they start offering up all these different objections. And I just have to pause and say, well, hang on a second. Where did you get that idea about Jesus? Was it because you actually looked at him for yourself or is that simply what someone told you? See, the reason that question is so important is because that was my issue. Before coming to faith as a teenager, I had lots of different objections about the Bible, about God, and yeah, about Jesus. And it took one brave person finally saying, well, hang on one second. Did you form that opinion on your own? By actually looking at him or are you simply repeating what you've heard other skeptics say? It was a great question and I'm glad she asked me that question because it started me on a journey of going and seeing for myself. And that's an invitation that is extended both to those of us who would consider ourselves skeptics, but also those of us who would consider ourselves lifelong followers of Jesus. It's to go back to the source and actually say, is my understanding of Jesus actually formed through personal encounter? My own journey of actually seeing who he is on his terms rather than my own. Because the amazing thing that we find when we take a look at him is that he breaks all of our preconceived notions. When you look at Jesus, you're going to be challenged. When you look at Jesus, you're going to be amazed. When you look at Jesus, you're going to be comforted. When you look at Jesus, you're going to be empowered. Over and over again, people who come to Jesus walk away completely different. When they're actually willing to put aside their preconceived notions and sit down and examine him, what they find is someone who's just hard to describe in simple phrases or pat images. It's an invitation to a much deeper kind of spiritual journey. I love how the writer Lynn Kohick puts it. She says, Jesus' story reshapes our story. A believer's past, present, and future take on redeemed significance as Jesus' story infuses our story, or better said, our story takes on eternal significance because Jesus' story gathers up our individual stories, our individual past and present into his redemptive story of love.
In fact, that's the reason why John wrote his gospel is because he wanted to give us an opportunity to come and see for ourselves. John's gospel is one of the earliest biographies that we have of Jesus' life. It stands with the other early biographers of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And what's so beautiful about this account is that it was written by an eyewitness, a close friend of Jesus, one of those guys who had a preconceived notion about him and then subsequently had that notion tore down, deconstructed, and rebuilt through personal encounter. It's part of the reason why at the end of his book, John says this, he says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. John says, everything that I'm telling you about Jesus, I know because I saw it, because I heard it, because I was able to talk with him, to touch him with my hands, to walk with him on the road. And he says, and this is why I've written these things is so that you might believe. In fact, at one point toward the end of his gospel, he says, you know, there's a lot that we could say about Jesus. In fact, so much that there's not even enough pages to contain it all. But, but I've written these things so that you might be certain, so that you might know that Jesus truly is the Son of God. And that's something that just defies easy categorizations and pat answers. Our invitation to you as we begin this brand new series is to come and take a look to take a closer look at Jesus. Because what we find in Jesus is the God who comes to us on terms that we can understand. A God that we don't come to grasp simply through theological truisms or ideas, but rather a God who desires relationship with us, who unprompted entered into our world and surprised us. But the reason why is so that we might truly come to know him I love how John puts it in his prologue to his gospel. He says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. Jesus came to us when we weren't looking for him. In order to invite us into a much deeper relationship with the God who made us, the God who loves us, and the God who entered into this world to rescue us. He is easily the most profound figure in world history. A man who at first glance, uh, glimpse was nothing more than a humble carpenter. And yet 2,000 years later, the world has been changed simply because of who he is. And he invites us into that same journey of coming to experience him, enter into relationship with him, and experience all the love, grace, and truth that only he can give. And so as we begin this series, my invitation to you is to come and see. Take a closer look. If you're not convinced, that's okay. But pick up this book with us as we explore who Jesus is together. And so with that in mind, I want to kick off the series, but close this message with a word of prayer. Would you join me? Lord God, we give you thanks that <laughs> in a world where people are actually looking for spiritual truth, you, you don't just give us ideas about you. You invite us into relationship. You entered into our world and became one of us and invited us to walk with you, to come and see for ourselves. 
And Lord, too often we've just been content to let other people's ideas about you drive our own opinions and perspectives. We've been too content to cling to caricatures of you that we can bring out when it's convenient and put away when it's not. But your invitation is to come and behold you for who you are. To be surprised, to stand in awe, and to receive the love and the grace that only a relationship with you can give. And so Lord, help us to just put away all those preconceived notions and misconceptions. And as we open your word together, as we go on this journey, Lord, we pray that you would help us to see you in all of your beauty and majesty, that we might also not only follow you, but come to trust in you. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Trinity Podcast. We hope this week's message encouraged you to consider the claims of Jesus in a new way, and we would love to have you join us for worship on the weekend. To find a location near you, visit www.tlc4u.org.